Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, ResLife. Oh, come on. Good morning, ResLife. It's just the time change, but my goodness, it's 11 o'clock in, in your real life right now. You should still be up by now. Anyway, uh, uh, my name's Ross. Everybody say hi, Ross. Hey, it's good to be together, isn't it? Um, anyway, I, every time I come here, uh, I feel like I'm coming home. And, uh, and, I, it, and you might be like, why? We have no idea who you are. Uh, it's because when I was going to college, uh, this is where I came to church, and I got to serve in the ground floor and help out with the youth ministry. Come on. And, uh, and our, our teens were at One Heart last week, and just God, God rocked their world. They came back on fire and ready to go. So that's, that's something worth supporting every year, people, is the youth, the next generation. And so, so keep doing that. But, uh, but my name's Ross, and I'm here with my wife, Allison. Allison, wave at everybody. She's definitely my better half. We're from, uh, from Big Rapids, which uh, is not Grand Rapids. It's better because <laughs> our rapids are bigger. And, uh, and so... So anyway, we're from Big Rapids, and this morning they're having church up there. But, uh, but I brought a picture as well of my family. Here they are. Uh, I think they've got it for, oh, that's the back of my head. Uh, see him there? My, the youngest one is very serious in the middle. See him? Look how serious he is. Uh, we have five, obviously, kids. Uh, so vacations are great. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's them, and that's our, that's our family. We love our family. We love our church family, and we love you guys. And, uh, and I just want to say today that it's such an honor to be asked to, uh, to come here and speak. It's an honor to be a pastor in the first place and have God entrust uh, leadership of people uh, in, in his name. And, uh, but to be asked to come here is a huge honor for me. I've been a Christian since I was a fetus. Um, I've known Pastor Dwayne since I was about three years old. My dad and him uh, were good friends. And so Pastor Dwayne and I have, have gotten comfortable enough with each other that when we meet for lunch, we wear sweatpants and we eat messy. And, uh, and so I'm really, I'm thankful that, uh, that he asked us to come today. And so it's a great honor. And I just want to say, uh, you have an unbelievably incredible pastor and wife here. Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie are incredible. And they've been, they've been mentors in my life and, and I get the, just the privilege of being close with them and, and learning from them and growing. And so anyway, uh, they're, they're ministering elsewhere and bringing the word elsewhere today. So I get to be here. So thank you for having me. At the beginning of this year, at our church, we did something called a, a, a 21 days of prayer and fasting. Anybody do that this year? Oh, there were four in first service. Uh, but anyway, you know, so we starved ourselves for 21 days, and I think there was a reason. Uh, but, uh, but no, we called our, our time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, we called it reset. Turn to your neighbor and say, reset. No, say it like I said it. I said, reset, like that. Okay. Uh, we called it reset. We felt like, and, and this is true, I think, today, we have to understand that our world is not ruled by God at this point. It's ruled by something else, right? And we've been seeing our society morally walk away from the values that God has tried to instill in our lives, right? And so we wanted to take that 21 days of prayer and fasting. We wanted to ask God to reset our moral compass so that it lined up with his values. And so, uh, so anyway, we, we challenged the Lord to reveal things in our lives that we needed to change. And we based it all on this scripture that you might have heard before. It's Psalm 139, and it starts in verse 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Everybody say, my heart. 
Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, we're in a society that wants to point at them and rarely wants to look at what's going on inside of me, right? And that we need to ask the Lord to see what's going on in us and allow him to change our values. The truth is, is that your actions will, will reflect your values. Let me say it this way. If you value something enough, you will change your life. You will change your actions to achieve that value or that thing that matters the most to you. And so we had, we had to ask God to change that. So today I want to talk about um, something that I think God values, something that I think God, God would, would say is paramount to the way that we live our lives. And so, so I want to get into it in just a minute. But before I do, why don't we bow our heads and pray and just ask God to be in control this morning. So Father, I thank you today for each and every person in this room. God, that you created them so perfect with a purpose, with a plan, and with a destiny, a destiny that when added to all of our destinies, Lord, will complete the plan that you have for your kingdom, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God, I just pray that you speak to us today as we look into your word and we talk about our lives. God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, give us ears that hear, hearts that understand, and give us minds that desire to live like you and to live for you. And God, let these words that I share today not be mine, but the words that you need me to say in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. All right. So I, I want to go back to kindergarten today. I want to I go back to reading time in kindergarten. So I want you all to put your kindergarten hats on and, and story time. I want to read a parable from the Bible. Now, if you haven't been in church very often or haven't really read the word, um, this is, a parable is what Jesus would use to illustrate a point. It's a story he would tell, and then he would kind of explain what that story was supposed to mean so that the people would understand it more clearly. Pretty much what pastors do every single Sunday. And, uh, and so I want to read this one to you, and it's one you're going to know if you've been in church for a minute, and, uh, and, but, I, but I'm going to rock your world when we're done. So here we go. Matthew 25, verse 14, it says this. This is called the parable of the talents, by the way. It says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. To one, he gave how many talents? Five talents. To another, two talents. And to another, one. One, or to each, according to his what? What? Okay, remember the word ability. Everybody say it one more time, ability. I want you to remember it today. He gave to each according to their ability, and then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, he went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants, he came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing how many more? Five talents more. Saying, master, you delivered me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Now what the master says is what we all want to hear someday. If, you, if you've been to church, you've heard a pastor say over and over, when we stand before Jesus, we want to hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? This is where it comes from. This is where we get this idea. So, so this is what he says. His master said to him in verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, he who had two talents came forward saying, master, you delivered me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, same thing, right? Even though it was less, Overall, it wasn't 10, it was four. 
He says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now I'm pointing behind me as if the pearly gates are right there. Okay, so just envision it. <laughs> but, uh, but then, verse 24, it says, He who had received one talent came forward saying this, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was what? I was what? I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has how many talents? Ten talents. For everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Such a positive story. Makes you just feel warm and fuzzy inside, doesn't it? No. Let's pray. No. <laughs> so, so don't answer out loud, but just think to yourself, what comes to mind when you think of this story? Like, what is it that, that you always hear talked about when you hear the parable of the talents? Most people will respond by saying it's a, the, the story's about being a good steward, right? It's about, it's about being a good steward. But is that, is that really what it's saying? You could make a case for it. Pastors for years and years, generations have made a case for it. But I think there's more to the story. I think, there, I think, I think it means something different. I think what this story really talks about is being the kind of person that chooses to add value to every situation that you're given. Somebody who has a mindset of, I'm going to add value. God wants us to be people who add value to our situation. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to add value to me. Say, to me at the end. It makes you need to add value. Have you noticed that I like to make you talk? Have you? I've already done this enough to, there will be more. And, uh, and anyway, let me, let, me, let me tell you why I think this, why I think that it's about adding value. Is there any place in the parable where the master says, take my money and turn it into more? Like in the, when he gives them the stuff, does he say, Go and, go and make more? He never does it. He never says, go and take it and make more. And so it, got, it gets your wheels turned and then you think, okay, so then why is he mad or upset when they come back and they haven't made more, right? It's because it's not about just good stewardship. It's about the fact that God expects us to add value to what he gives us. See, the two, the two servants at the beginning, they, they took what they had. They worked in order to add value to it, whereas the third servant didn't add any value to his talents. And, and so what this really does is it, it, it examines the internal view of how we live our lives. Let, let me put it this way. When we're given something, when you're given a title or a position or a task or an item, do you feel as though those things bring value to your life or... Or is it you that brings value to those positions or those items? Is it, is it the boat that you have that brings value to you? Or is it the fact that you ride in the boat that brings value to it? My son, my eight-year-old son, 
Let me use this story to explain maybe further. He, uh, he has this, uh, this obsession with this little phone. And you guys remember like old school phones before they had like the screens you could touch and all that stuff. And a lot of people like, when, you remember when the razor came out, the flip phone? You're like, oh yeah, everybody's got to have a razor. I can't even feel it in my pocket. It's so thin. Like, you remember that? So before the razor, there was another phone. It was the slide phone. The slide phone was one of those phones you turn sideways and you, 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 you know, you open it up, you walk up to your friends like, and you don't have to type like a Neanderthal texting. You, could, you had the whole keyboard. You're like, look at me. I'm, I'm faster than you. Like, who cares? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so my son Jackson, I don't know how he got it, but three years ago, he shows up with this little blue slide phone. The paint's chipping off of it. It's a piece of junk. And, uh, and he, for three years, nearly, nearly every day, at least every other day, he has come up to us and said, Dad, do you have a charger for this phone? I'm like, son, I don't even know where the phone came from. I'm pretty sure you stole it from somebody at church. I don't know. Like, I don't know where it came from. And, and he's like, Dad, you got a charger? I was like, I don't have a charger. Dad, you have a charger? I don't have a charger. Go, go to your room. Leave me alone. I don't have a charger. He like every charger we have, he tries to cram it into the thing and it never works. And so he's got this, this phone. But he came to me the other day and he said, Dad, I want, I want a new phone. And I was like, you didn't have a phone in the first place. So, yes, I did. I got the blue. You know, I got, I got the. And I'm like, no, you don't have a phone. And, and, and he's like, but there's a girl in my class and she's got a smartphone. I was like, oh, okay, uh, no. And so, <laughs> so anyway, so he loves this phone. He loves this little blue phone and it's so important to him. And it's a piece of junk. And so anyway, I was going to school pickup the other day. At our school, you have to get out of the car and wait for your kids. It's a like big, big like cement area in front of the school. And I walk up and I see the girl with her smartphone. She's like, what's up, girl? You know, she's eight. I don't know. And she's talking to her friends and playing some game. And, and, and I, see, I see coming across the cement towards her, I see my son. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And as he's walking towards her, I see him pull something out of his back pocket. And I see this hint of blue. And I'm like, no, God, no. And he walks up and he leans in. And I'm like, no. And the girl's like, piece of junk. And, my, and they have to like high five their teacher to say they're going to come to their parent. And I just see him like, like he just walks over his teacher and high fives, walks over to me. I saw my son's first rejection. It was horrible. It was horrible, but he values that phone to everybody else in the world. It's a piece of junk. But to him, because it means something to him, he just wants a charger, Dad. Like, just give me the charger. I love it. It does. I can't play games on it, but who cares? He has no idea. He thinks it's got games on it. And, uh, and to him, it's so valuable. What's so funny is because he values it so much in our home, it is the most fought over item in our house. They could have everything they want, and they fight over this piece of junk little flip phone or slide phone. It's because he values it thinks it's important. Let me bring it into, uh, into your world for a moment. If you have a highly ranked position at work, is it that position that makes you a good worker? Or is it all the work and effort and all that thing, all that stuff that got you to that place that makes it important? Is the title the thing that's really that important? Or is it the fact that you deserve the title? It's because you added value to the situation and it makes it so valuable to you. See, I think people, too many people today, they have uh, what I call positional importance complex. I don't think that's a real thing, but if some psychologist wants to take it and use it, I'm good with it. 
Uh, I'll take the royalties. Um, I don't, there wouldn't be any. Uh, but I think the thing about it is, is that people think that the title makes them important when in reality they should be the reason why the position is important. Right? Okay. So back to the parable real quick. Um, could you imagine being one of those three servants? Now, picture this. A talent of gold, the, the, the parable is also called uh, bags of gold or the parable of the bags of gold because depending on what uh, version of the Bible you have and, and the way they interpret it, but a talent, a talent of gold is incredibly valuable. Okay, the master in the story was not a poor man. He didn't only have three servants. He would have had many, many servants. He would have been extremely wealthy. And so when he pulled these three guys into his office and said, hey, I'm going on a trip. I want you to take all of this gold that I have, and I want you to take care of it. This was a huge promotion. Of all the servants, he chose one of us. And so, so now what they, would they do with it? What would they do with, with what their master had entrusted? Everything with them. I think this is a great look at, at what God has done with each of us. I often say, and I said it in the prayer at the beginning, that God created each one of us with a purpose, that he put it inside us the day that he created it. And have you ever thought that the purpose that God put in you is the same as the talents that he gave the servants? Have you ever thought that you have actually already been given the bag of gold and that you're holding it in your life from the day that you were created and that God is waiting for you to show up? Remember, the Bible says that Jesus, he's gone away, but he's coming back, right? The master, he's going away, but he's coming back and he's put something inside of you. And someday when you stand before him, he wants to look at you and say, did you add value to that? He created you and he put it inside you. It says it, it, says it in Ephesians 2.10. It says, it says, for we are God's what? Handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance. Advance for us to do. Gifts, talents, abilities, influence, position, relationships. God gives us these things not so that we can hide them away, so that we can add value to them, so that we can make them more, so that we can increase his kingdom, so that we can advance his kingdom. See, he knows in advance he created you, so he already knows what's in you. He, the, the master already knew what he put in each bag to each one of his servants, and he knew what they could do with it. But I think one of the stumbling blocks that, that we see today with with whether or not we add value, whether or not we, we take what God has given us and go further is, is what I call the corruption of comparison. We have this problem that we're always comparing ourselves to others and what they have. Now, get this. It's no surprise to me that the guy who didn't do anything with what he was given was the guy who had the least amount. Because typically in society, the people who have the least spend all their time looking at the people who have the most going, why don't I have that? So I'm sure if they're all in the room together and the master gives them all the money, the guy with one was like, what gives? Like I saw that guy in the lunchroom yesterday bad-mouthing somebody else. He doesn't deserve to have the five. I should have the five. I'm a harder worker. I do this. I do that. Me, 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 my, my, my. He's, he's talking about all the things he should be without realizing that he's holding his purpose in his hands. 
It's no surprise, though, because it's always the, it's, we always feel like we're not good enough, like we don't have enough, that we'll never be good enough because somebody else is better than us, somebody else has it going on. We're so busy comparing our, our lives to others that we fail to notice that, that what God has given us is already in our hands. Think of it this way. Often people want the title or a title at work as proof that they're worthy when in reality, even the title means nothing if you underperform. There are a lot of CEOs in the world today whose companies are tanking because they're not adding value to their business. They're just living a positional influence lifestyle. Hmm. And interestingly, um, the highest achievers at your workplace will eventually get more. They'll, they'll be the ones that will move up up the chain. But the people, you know, it's funny, the people who are doing the status quo, they're doing their job, but they're not adding to their job. Those are the people who always stay right where they're at or eventually phase out. But you think that's not fair. They're doing their job, right? But the, 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 the parable goes across the lines. It's not just spiritual. It's also, you know, physical. It's at your job. It's in your relationships. It's in everything. I have people all the time say, my wife is so important to me. And I said, okay, what's the last time you did something to show her how valuable she was? When's the last time you actually poured value into her instead of hiding her away in your home and just expecting her to be there like the guy who dug the hole and put the talent in the ground? Right? Men? I want to hear an amen from the men right now. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be so heavy. I'm usually a happy guy. Well, I'll make you laugh later. It's fine. Like, so which servant do you want to be? You want to be one of the two who hears, well done, my good and faithful servant? You want to be the one who has even what he was given taken away. Can you look at your current situation in life and make a decision to begin adding value to it? I want to read uh, from 1 Peter 4. Uh, he says this. Peter wrote this. And, and this is important to note that Peter wrote this, okay? 1 Peter 4.10, it says, Each of you should use what? Whatever gift. Everybody say whatever. Whatever gift. Not the gift your neighbor has, not something that you wish you had. Whatever gift you've received to serve others as a faithful steward of God's grace in its various forms. Now, the next verse is really important, I think, because it talks about how you should use those whatever gifts that God has given you. Verse 11, it says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of who? Of God. So not just like, oh, I guess I'll do a little bit of something with what I've got. No, no, no. I'm talking about doing it the way God would do it. And then it says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen, right? Okay, so I said it's important to note who wrote that. Peter wrote that. Who did Peter spend time with? Jesus. Peter actually walked around with God and saw how God would serve other people. He didn't write it like, like, like a pastor today who knows God but didn't walk with Jesus who says, oh, we need to love like God. He wrote it, <laughs> there's my water. He wrote it as a guy who actually was there with Jesus and said, we need to love like that guy loved. We need to care like that guy cared. 
We need to work like that guy worked. We need to go beyond. Uh, I was in Israel just two weeks ago. I know Pastor Dwayne was there last week. And, and I think one of the things that spoke to me, and tonight I'm going to talk about Israel if you come back for the night service. Uh, but one of the things that spoke to me there and was so impressive was the landscape. How many people here have been to Israel before, seen it? Okay, so a few. So most of you have not. Now, when you think of Israel and you, and you think of what Jerusalem looks like and what you've read in the Bible, most people, not everybody, they think of a desert. You've seen all the movies. It's a desert. They wear sandals there and, uh, and sandals and robes. It must be a desert, right? And so they, they walk from city to city in the desert. No, it's not a desert. By the way, it's mountains everywhere. It, like I was amazed. We got there at night into Jerusalem in the morning. The sun came up and I was like, where are we, Narnia? Like, what is happening here? Like, there's huge mountains all over the place. Now, it's not like the Rockies, but it's like North Carolina. It's like the, like the Appalachian Mountains there. Like, you know, you stand on the top of Mount, Olives, Mount of Olives, and you're way up high above Jerusalem, looking way down at Jerusalem. It's, it's incredible. So what hit me is that Jesus didn't just happen to walk out the door of Jerusalem to another city and love people. He strapped on his hiking sandals and his hiking smock, and he walked through the mountains. He worked hard. He put in effort. And all of his disciples who became apostles went out and they did the same thing. And they understand what it was like to use their abilities to add value because they worked at it and they gave all they had. They loved and they did it the way God did it. Is that the way you want to do it? Can you do it like that? What kind of servant do you want to be? You want to be one that adds value? Or you want to be one that just hoards it away for yourself? In, uh, in January, we had a family birthday party at a water park that will remain unnamed. And uh, I want to tell you the story. And it, this is where I hopefully will make you laugh. And uh, so, so we went there and we, did, we, we stayed at the resort hotel because you get cheap, uh, cheap water park tickets when you stay in the room, and we have five kids, you know, you're pretty much bankrupt if you go to a water park. <laughs> so we got the hotel room, thinking that's the way to go. We were there Friday. We were all like, you know, being eaten away by chlorine. We're like half dead in our hotel rooms, trying to yell at the kids, get them to go to bed. And so finally the kids go to bed, and then the adults, end up, of course, end up staying up and talking. About midnight, we get in bed. The next day is the birthday party at the water park. Going to be a great day. And, uh, and about 1 o'clock in the morning, uh, the fire alarm starts going off, and a voice comes over the loudspeaker, says, you must evacuate the building. Now, we're on the top floor, and so my wife's thinking, like, we're going to get trapped in a fire. And, and I'm like, I, I, I can't even think. It's one in the morning, and I'm trying to sleep, and I've you know, been dying of chlorine poisoning. And, and so I'm like, what are we going to do? And so it's like, evacuate now. I look at my phone. It's negative two degrees outside. I got five kids in pajamas. I'm like, get your jackets and your shoes. My wife's like, we're going to die. I was like, get your jackets and your shoes. And so we get, we get everything. We get out. We get out of the, the hotel. We get, into the, we get in our car. We get it heated up. We sit there for about 20 minutes, and, and they, they kind of give the all clear. You can go back in. So we get everybody back in. We get all the kids back asleep. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, the fire alarm goes off again. So I'm like, well, this stinks. <laughs> Kids are crying. We're going to die. You know, like, like we're not going to die. Clearly something is wrong. And so, 
So we, uh, we get everybody calmed down. We get in the hallway. It's like, I'm not going back outside. We're waiting it out till I see flames. <laughs> and so, so we get them back in bed. 45 minutes later, the fire alarm goes off. I'm like, this is the night from hell. And that's not a swear word. Hell is a bad place, and this was a bad night. So, okay. And so we got family, and they're like, we're going to leave. We're leaving. And I was like, what, the birthday party's tomorrow? And like, there's no way it could go off again, right? 45 minutes later, the fire alarm goes off again. And I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> what is happening here? So, so I was like, you know, fourth time's the charm. They got to figure it out. So they did figure it out, found out later that they just turned off the fire suppression system in the place. So if there really was a fire, we'd all died. And, uh, and so, but that didn't happen. And, and so that has nothing to do with adding value <laughs> at all. Uh, th- that's not true. I got all my money back and then some. So <laughs> thank you, Water Park. Uh, but the next morning, you should have seen people. We get to the water park for the birthday. You can see all the parents are ticked. They're yelling at their kids. They're like, forget this. Like, this is the worst idea we've ever had. People storming through the place. Nobody's happy. Half the kids don't even want to swim. And, and so the day before in the hot tub, there were, you know, a few people in and out of the hot tub today. Every parent's like, oh, I just died. Slide us, go down the water slides by yourself. You know, and, and that's what I'm thinking. Like, this is the worst day ever. And so I'm, lay, I'm, I'm, lay, I'm, I'm laying in the hot tub, like, I will not play with kids. I will not play with kids. I will not play with kids. And, and as I'm sitting in the hot tub, right behind the hot tub is the kids' pool. And right behind me is, a, is like a whirlpool, circle pool section. And it has jets that make the water go around, but it's, it's pretty lame. Kids are like floating like bobbers. Like, I'm like, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, that is so lame, right? That is the lamest thing ever. Like, like do you remember, were you ever a kid and you had a family or some friends that had one of those circle pools and you would get in and do the whirlpool in it? You know, and you get trucking around and you get the water to dip down low in the middle and it's splashing over the sides. Well, I'm, I'm sitting in the hot tub, half dead, and, and I'm like, I'll bet I could make that faster. I will make that faster. And so I hop into the whirlpool and I start going, got my arms out trying to pull the water like this. And I'm like, mm, this is going to be good. Kids are like, what are you doing? I was like, be quiet, kid. <laughs> and I go, I don't know if it's allowed, but I'm, I'm going for it. I'm, and I'm going along and I see kids are kind of catching on. And, and these punk kids kept trying to slow it down, hitting them as I'm going by. And, and I'm, I'm going like this. And, and I look up and I suddenly see that my brother's about to get in the water. Now, my brother, he's twice my size, so he's really going to add value to this thing. And he gets in and the water starts moving and we start getting this thing going. And I'm getting tired because that's what happens when you're doing what I'm doing and you're going around in a circle and kids are like hanging up for dear life. And they're like, and I'm like, quit it, kid. You know, I'm going. And then I see my brother-in-law, he's going to get in, but he's small, didn't add much value. And so we just, and we're going, we're going, we're going. And, and I'm like having a great time. And then I see we're drawing a crowd, right? And the camera guy's like, quit running in circles and, and, and we're drawing a crowd people come around and see a lifeguard I'm like try and just hide my eyes like he's not going to notice me like as we're going around and so the kids are having a ball adults are coming around everybody see it's like there's new life in the water park yes thank you thank you now you might have missed something that I said at the beginning I said there were jets it made the water go around. I'm out of breath. 
that, that the water was already moving. And I could have said, eh, it's already going. But I chose to add value. Now, the Christian society we live in today looks at the body of Christ and says, it's already going. It's already moving. I could do that, but they already got it covered. I don't need to. I was excited when my brother got in because I was getting tired. And we took it to the next level. Have you ever thought that even though somebody's already doing something that you have talents or abilities to do, that if you would jump in the whirlpool of what God's doing there, that you could speed up the water? That you could make a difference? But we're so busy comparing ourselves to somebody who has more talents than we do, that we're not willing to even get in because we only had one. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep it to myself. You guys watch this worship team. They're pretty awesome, aren't they? No, they're a bunch of hacks. They're a bunch of hacks. I know them. They're friends of mine. You look at them and you think there's no way that I could ever get up there. And I'm just, you know what? I play guitar, but I'm just going to stay at home and play my guitar at home for me. And it's good and that's fine. And you don't realize that they could use another guitar player up here. But you don't want to get up here because somebody's a little bit better than you, but they're not. You just don't know it. Because you assume that because they, they're standing up on this stage that they're that much better that you could never stack up and you could never add value. But I promise you, you could. I was a worship leader for a long time, can you tell? One of the most frustrating things as a worship leader was people who could play who wouldn't play because they said, I'm not good enough. That's why they're here. They want to make you good enough. Like, Come on. Do you want to be a servant who buries it in the sand or do you want to be the servant who adds value, who makes a difference with your life? And that, there's lots of reasons that people say, I'm out, I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to tell you today that every reason you have in your mind that tells you you should not get in the whirlpool is a lie from the devil. Amen. That God has created you from the beginning. It says in Ephesians, he prepared you in advance to use those things. And you choosing not to for whatever reason you think is right is wrong. And someday when you stand before our Savior, He's going to say, what'd you do with what I gave you? Did you add value to it like I knew you could, like I made you to? Or did you bury it in the dirt? Keep it to yourself. Just things to ponder, right? God wants to use you. You are valuable. And you can do it. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. Lord, your word is so clear when it says that, that you knit us together, that you prepared us in advance, that you built inside of us a purpose and a destiny that goes beyond the way that we think, goes beyond what we can do on our own, that, that with you in our lives, as the leadership of our lives, that we can get in and we can add value and make a difference for the kingdom of God. God, I pray that you're speaking to people's hearts today who feel undervalued, who feel like they're not good enough, who have those abilities, because we all do. And I pray you're inspiring them 
to accept the truth that you know they can do it. I pray that today you are motivating people to get up out of their seats, to jump in the whirlpool, and to add value in every situation that they can. If we would be a people, God, who would add value, who would choose to live according to this moral, add value in every situation, that we could see your kingdom come, we could see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You, you can do it, God, and we could do it with you. With everybody's eyes closed, if you're here and you know, you know that your life does not line up with what Jesus says your life should look like. If you know you're far from God, today I just want to tell you, all you need is Jesus. We sang the song. We sang the song about the name of Jesus. That nothing can hold us back. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can come in front of us. No no barrier is big enough to overcome the name of Jesus. No, the name of Jesus overcomes it all. All you need is Jesus. Today, if you're here and you feel undervalued, you feel worthless, you feel like you've got too many problems in your life, you've done too many things wrong, I'm here to tell you today that Jesus washes all that away if you'll make Jesus Lord of your life, if you'll let him lead. Jesus is the bridge between you and your sinful life and connection to God. You need Jesus. If you need hope, and if you need help, you need Jesus. If you're here today and you realize that you need Jesus and you want to make him Lord, you want to start this life, right where you're at, with everybody's eyes closed, just lift your hand up. Is there anybody who knows they need Jesus today? Awesome. Awesome. The Bible's really clear on what this means and, and how, how this process begins. It, it, God doesn't make this difficult. The Word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And if you believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, that he's really God, that you'll be saved. So this heart thing, the declaration comes from a place in your heart today where you say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I believe in you, I accept you, and I will follow you. If you can say that in your heart, that I need you, I want you, I believe in you, and I will follow you. That we can, we're going to say a prayer together. You're going to declare that he's Lord and you're going to start getting in the whirlpool of what God's trying to do today. So if you raise your hand or maybe you didn't even do that, but you want to say that prayer today and declare that Jesus is Lord, just pray this prayer with me. Repeat after me. Say this, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross, defeat the grave, and to rise again so that I could be saved. I was a sinner and I needed forgiveness and I accept it from you today. Today I choose to make Jesus Lord of my life. I choose to live for him from this day on. Lead me into the life you created for me And speak to me about my purpose and how to live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. 
Be blessed and enjoy your week.